Okay, everybody, welcome back to the 31st annual Los Angeles Municipal Non-Denominational Holiday Parade. I'm Daniel Warm Milk Zafrin. And I'm Greg Chamomile T. Gonzalez. Delightful. Charmed. Here comes the float from the Orange Grove Guild. They even scented it with citrus. Do you smell it, Daniel? I do, Greg. Mm. Here comes the float from the gals over at the Rotary Club. Yet another impeccable display. Ring-a-ding-ding, girls. Ring-a-ding-ding. Oh, Greg, here they are. Those rascally troublemakers. The 43rd local Elks Lodge. (laughs) Careful, don't get too close. They may blow raspberries at you. (laughs) First row may get wet. Oh, hello, friend. Oh, a crow has perched himself upon our podium. You must have escaped from the Edgar Allan Poe float. No matter. The crow is an omen of good luck. Actually, I hate correcting you on air. Uh, yeah, me too. But the crow typically symbolizes an omen of bad luck. Uh, misfortune, if you will. I'm not familiar with her. Oh, no. Here comes the Brewers Bowling League float, and it's coming in a little too fast. They're bowling a strike. Put the bumpers up. Oh, my God. God. <laughs> oh, they've scattered the grandstand and friend the caballeros. The horses are going nuts. The horse, the horse. Of course, of course. The horses have trampled the beekeeper's exquisitely crafted float. There's bees everywhere, stinging people, stinging horses, and viciously stinging birds. They're swarming together to form a human. How could this be? Ah, good one. They're dragging the driver of the Septic Society's spectacular sedan out of the driver's seat. Oh, the sedan is out of control. The septic tanks are emptying out of the Girl Scouts. Oh, they... They like it. Oh, no. The Hindenburg Historians. Here it comes. Oh, the humanity. They're doing fine. Oh my god, the giant animatronic James Dean Memorial float is lighting a cigarette. Oh! Oh, the insanity! Good grief. The out-of-season Charlie Brown Christmas diorama. It's coming to life. Oh. And they're hungry for human flesh. Linus is taking a bite out of Snoopy. He's using his blanket to wipe off his mouth. Lucy's teeing up Grand Marshal Eric Estrada's head for Charlie to kick. This time she won't pull away. Greg, Peppermint Patty's looking right at us. Daniel, this is the end. Before we cut to our sponsor, the Angel of Death, I want you to know I've been draining your blood every night for a year for a science experiment without paying you. Good, because I've been taking money out of your wallet all morning. Also, I incested your sister. Ah, I told you you were good at watercolor paintings. You're not. Oh, heaven above. Peppermint Patty is distracted by the gyrating human centipede of apocalypse fetishists on the Caligula float. It's utter chaos here at Meekly Lane. I've never seen such gloriously lustful carnage. Satan, have mercy! And another great entry from the Catastrophe Council. Always happy to have them as a part of the parade. Oh golly, here comes the First National Bank's float. Please, I would like to make a withdrawal. Some of your charm. <laughs> Did you really incest my sister? Do you really think I'm bad at watercolors? No. Then no. Ooh, here comes the theme song float. <laughs> Hello. Hello, and 
Welcome back to Ally Meekly, episode 31. 31. Thank you for being here, and thank you for ignoring that I mispronounced the word hello and said wello. Uh, we uh, will never forget that. Never It'll forget. be an inside joke. It'll be a hashtag tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> this thing's going to take the Twitterverse by storm. Yeah, it's going to go It's gonna go viral. <laughs> no, I said it wrong. That's going to be a hashtag now. Damn it. Hashtag make me go viral. <laughs> hashtag take these pills and you'll go viral. <laughs> July, it's going to be hotter than uh, it's ever been on this hotter planet. Hotter than heck, I'd say. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tech over here. I feel like a bat out of heck right now. <laughs> well, I hope you had a good June listening to our last episode over and over again, as everyone did. So mm-hmm. you should do it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Delete leave reviews all. about it. I mean, you, everyone's raving about it. When they talk about cereal, they're actually talking about us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an anagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's an Illuminati thing. You wouldn't get it. You're not a member. Shh. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I better tighten my punishment belt. <laughs> when I wake up, there's going to be a red claw symbol on my door. We all know what that means. <laughs> oh, no, I said too much. So this month, we're here to talk about... It's you ready ju- for it? It's July. You ready for this? You ready for July. It? We're here to talk about everyone's favorite thing, which is parades. Yeah. Everyone loves a parade. Army sergeants in Vietnam War love them. Mm-hmm. Veterans and high school cheerleaders alike love them. <laughs> the one thing they have in common. <laughs> and also, usually drug addictions. <laughs> so, it's July. Parades. Fourth of July. That's a loose enough connection to make this episode work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, definitely there's going to be a excruciating heat parade uh, that lasts until mid-October. So let's all get in line on the little horsies and ride down the block. Grill up a wiener. Perhaps grab a cob, a hot steaming cob, maybe a sloppy mess of potatoes. Crack open a, a can of America. <laughs> and then crack open a can on America. Because <laughs> it's time we crack down. <laughs> Vote we, Trump. <laughs> we got to open that can. Vote Trump. <laughs> Someone's going to open up a can of whoop tushy on this country. And Trump is just the man to do it. Vote Illuminati. Uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> oh, no, oh no, we did it again. Oh God, the Red Crosses are here. <laughs> and they're not here to give us warm blankets. <laughs> Trump is the anagram for Illuminati. Trump is an anagram for cereal also. <laughs> conspiracy! Anyway, that's enough of this. You think this episode about parades was actually secretly about conspiracies. <laughs> Illuminati code, you're not going to get it. <laughs> Greg, I said that's enough of this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. Let's talk about some parades. All right. Gay people. Friend or foe? <laughs> some would say it depends on each individual because they're human beings. Others, like many people in the 60s and 70s, be that in the 1860s or the 1960s, would disagree and tell you foe. <laughs> Los Angeles Gay Pride Parade. Here we go. Here we go. So let's talk about the buildup to the Pride Parade. In 1966-67, as fans of the show and of civil rights violations may recall, (laughs) the Black Cat Riot occurred on... Big crossover. (laughs) (laughs) That Venn diagram is one of my favorite. I have it framed on my wall. (laughs) It looks like Mickey's ears (laughs) sticking out of his head. The Black Cat Riot occurred on New Year's Eve in Silver Lake, as you covered. Anybody who hasn't heard, I'll just catch you up real quick. When undercover cops were feeling a little too hot and bothered and decided (laughs) to pull out their phalluses and beat the S-word out of patrons of the Black Cat, which was a gay bar in Silver Lake. It's still there, although it's it's much different than it was. It's much more butch. Yeah. To hear the full story, consult the March Madness episode. Well, the Black Cat and many other police to gay community conflicts led to the founding of several activist groups, such as PRIDE, Pride, mm-hmm. which stands for Personal Rights in Talked the Defense. Talked about that also. Mm-hmm. Personal Rights in the Defense and Education, which was created by Steve Ginsburg. And the publication known as The Advocate was also started. It was a direct result because yeah, of I a... I told you all this. I'm catching people up, okay? People don't want to listen to March Madness. They listen to all episodes before they listen to all other episodes. Well, then they wouldn't come to this episode. We're not <laughs> You gotta enjoyable. play that episode over this episode. <laughs> and then you'll see that Jack Nicholson looks like a clown with blood on his face. 
the Illuminati staged the moon landing. That's all I wanted to say. Sorry. <laughs> so after Black Cat and all the other riots that came from that, there were these court trials and a lot of court trials where many gay and lesbian residents were charged with lewd conduct. And it was one of the first times in the country that gay rights were fought for over in court for the 14th Amendment. That was the first time that that mm-hmm. was happening. So then we cut to New York in 1969 to Christopher Street in West Village where men could go and hang out with other men or ladies can go out and hang out with other ladies. Why would other, they want to do that? You know, just for a good time, you know, just see what the other side's like. The Stonewall Inn, which was a gay club, was raided by police and there was an altercation which occurred between the occupants and NYPD Blue. NYPD. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. Did wow. that really? My God. That was NBC seat, that was, has its hooks in it. It was deep seated, that thing. <laughs> deep CSI'd. I mean, <laughs> well, we're all F R I E N D S here. <laughs> Speaking of acronyms, I always, since the periods were in between the letters, I always Me thought too. that that stood for something. Like they were secret agents or something. Frandler. Veronica, <laughs> E. Joey. The eyes for Illuminati. Our favorite immigrant, <laughs> E. Joey. So Stonewall happened in 1969, and that in New York was created, and it was a riot that happened. Of all the years. Of all the years, it had to be the most sexual. <laughs> because of that, a lot of groups were coming out. A lot of demonstrations took place because of that. And it was one of the first times that the gay community really got their voices heard, mm-hmm. wanting civil rights. A lot of stuff came from that. A lot of groups were starting, like the Gay Liberation Front, which was started by Reverend Morris Knight, as I think you mentioned before. So while New York was fighting the good fight, gay communities of San Francisco and Los Angeles decided they wanted to be loud and proud too. So it was a year later and Reverend Morris Knight, like I said, of the Gay Liberation Front, Bob Humphreys, who founded the United States Mission, and Reverend Troy Perry, who was the founder of... Troy Perry, that's the one we talked about. Yes, yes, yes. He was the founder of the Universal Fellowship of Metropolitan Community Churches. Three of them decided that they wanted to plan a celebration and commemoration of the fight for civil rights that happened in New York. It was supposed to be a year later. So together they formed the Christopher Street West Association, which is a non-profit service organization named after the area in West Village where the Stonewall Inn was. And then the conflicts began, most notably homosexuality was quite illegal in the state of California. Many had gone to trial and had lost court battles that secure their rights as human beings. So this parade, if it were to happen, would need permits. Previously, there was a march of several different minority groups whose rights had been stripped and the gay community was part of that, but they weren't like loud and proud about it. I think you mentioned that they were sort of like, yeah, yeah. we're people and we're suddenly in this thing. Like they weren't like... Well, that was part of because the black cat demonstration was like part of a more citywide thing where it was yeah. like Mexican rights, African-American yeah. rights, uh, gays too. Yeah, yeah. And they were kind of <laughs> dependably meek was what they, they were being called. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dep- the newspaper were like the dependably meet gays are finally speaking out how dare they so this parade if it was going to happen was not going to be that it was going to be a pride parade if you will it wouldn't be undercut by fear of the police or angry residents after Stonewall and so many other conflicts the leaders of the gay community wanted to celebrate themselves their identity and the spirit of resistance but having to go through the proper channels to have a parade on Hollywood Boulevard which is where it originally ran seemed impossible according to Reverend Perry he was told by LAPD chief at the time Edward Davis that LAPD Blues <laughs> LAPD Blues <laughs> <laughs> there was a with LAPD in the title. I don't remember what it was. Hill Street Blues. Uh, yeah, that had LAPD in the title, <laughs> right? I was going to say, according to the chips... <laughs> According to Reverend Perry, he was told by LAPD chief at the time, Edward Davis, that, quote, as far as I'm concerned, granting a permit to a group of homosexuals to parade down Hollywood Boulevard would be the same as giving a permit to a group of thieves and robbers. Which they did the year before. Yeah. Clearly, those two things correlate because they've stolen my heart. (laughs) For them to get these permits, city authorities required Christopher Street West to post two bonds. The first would be for a million dollars, and the second would be for $500,000, as well as $1,500 in cash to pay for a police officer who would be dispatched to protect the parade attendees. One police officer? No, like a like a like a, a group battalion. of a battalion. You can hire those. Yeah. You, well, they, I don't know if you're supposed to be charged for that, but yeah, you can hire that for parades. That's how uh. that's how the clan is protected. But luckily, <laughs> not this much. 
So that's a lot of money. That's like a lot of all the money I've ever seen. <laughs> but luckily, the times were, uh, it ain't me, babe. <laughs> times were uh, changing. And minority groups were starting to be protected. The American Civil Liberties Union were stepping in to help the organizers of this. The ACLU had those $1.5 million commission fees dropped. And then there was that $1,500 police service charge that was also dropped. The Superior Court demanded that they drop that because no one else was going to have to pay for that. So all this back and forth left Christopher Street West after everything was said and done and they hadn't have to pay anything. They now had two days to organize a parade that would go down Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> so it was a mad scramble. Plus the usual mean people death threats that the CSW boys were getting. Morris Knight was receiving death threats up to the morning of the parade. So the first Pride Welcome Parade... to the 60s. <laughs> it all looks fun and sideburnsies. <laughs> the best part of waking up is waking up is, 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 is being able to do that <laughs> but also fingers in your cup so the first pride parade took place on june 28th 1970 the original route went down hollywood boulevard starting at mccadden place near hollywood highland moving east to vine tree and then back to hollywood highland to finish went backwards like woo, woo, back woo, it up, back yeah it up. i'm pretty sure yeah like you got oh, midway they probably made like a loop yeah i think it is a loop people at the end would go halfway turn around then complete it You'd only ever see halfway. I'm just kidding. You get it? You get the diagram I see in my head? Nope. I'm doing something with my fingers to display what I mean by this, and it's just sort of rabbit ears when we left You just keep making Illuminati symbols. It's not going to help you. <laughs> it's going to help me. Trust me. When they kick the door down and I have my hand up in tiger mode, which we all recognize. Oh, no, I'm not supposed to say what it means. But they're going to recognize that I'm Illuminati, and you're going to be like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I smeared lamb's blood on the door, so they're not coming in here, okay? I've been writing checks all day, okay? <laughs> checks made in ram's blood. LA rams. Welcome to Los Angeles, boys. Go get them. So the I mean, reps. reps. The first parade saw about a thousand people come and join it. To some, it was also seen as much more of a protest than a celebration. I can imagine how scary that first march must have been after like years of being harassed by police officers to like walk down Hollywood Boulevard and be openly gay <laughs> must have been like, uh, who's going to come at me first? But there was a lot of fun to be had no matter how on guard you had to be. Thousands of community participants chanted two, four, six, eight. Gay is just as good as straight. <laughs> the Advocate, which like I said, was a direct result of the Black Cat Riot, had a float and loaded it with men in swimsuits mm. and and, con- mm. and then there was a conservative gay group wearing business suits, or as I call them, people in business suits. Booyah! <laughs> now, if you're asking, the next two parade years were more fun, let me tell you that they were so lavish and extreme that it had the third year, 1973, had to be canceled because the two sandwiched years were so crazy. They ran out of money? I don't know if they ran out of money as much as like, they were so extreme. Tone it down. <laughs> yeah, tone it down a little bit. <laughs> Each parade was more extravagant than the last, each pushing the boundaries of what the mainstream was willing to accept and tolerate as far as public behavior. During the parades of 1971, in 72 sponsors of the parade were complaining that the content was too lewd and were threatening to pull out of financing what I, were they doing i couldn't like, find what could they possibly have been i couldn't doing? find that many reports but i did find some blog postings so i don't know to trust them or not but i'll read what i read so i don't know if this is just straight people reporting oh my god, oh my they're, god they're two men standing on the same float <laughs> it looks like they're holding hands but i can't be sure there were allegedly reports of nudity and colorful banners and signage that were bordering on bad taste now what i'm going to say right now explicit content so if you're underage please close your ears oh my. there was something called a cockapiller which was a, a <laughs> all right i'll be outside <laughs> <laughs> apparently there was a giant vaseline jar from the original parade float and it was joined by another float was made of wire and paper mache to look like a chinese dragon with a penis head that spit up white fluid down hollywood oh, boulevard no. and let me just say hollywood boulevard has seen worse spills <laughs> that was an extreme case obviously but it wasn't it was old, less than usual it was less than usual yeah cockapiller. the cockapiller so that's an extreme case <laughs> I just understood it's supposed to be a caterpillar. Oh my god. <laughs> you shouldn't be listening to you know when I told you to cover your ears, I kind of meant you. So it's like a chicken caterpillar <laughs> and it like vomits? It, it's a rooster that does it become a butterfly? <laughs> caterpillar. Oh. Uh, this wasn't only upsetting straight people. Who? <laughs> I'd hate to be woken up by that. <laughs> Best part of waking up is a caterpillar outside your window, if you ask me. 
don't let him in. Don't let him in. <laughs> the calls are coming from inside the house. It wasn't only upsetting straight people, but many of the members of the gay and lesbian community were outraged because they've been fighting to be seen as respectable, and the cockapillar is something of a radical behavior. But it's like the loud and proud spirit that fights the suppression of homosexual feelings that many of the parade participants want to challenge. Like you have these two groups sort of splitting up. I think because the the gay pride parade happened in reality uh, just a few weeks, like yeah. a week or so ago, and I think the similar thing I read was happening the same thing. Like older gay people were like, yeah, we want a little, you know, we yeah. don't want to seem like insane. Yeah, exactly. And then the younger people were like, nipple piercing floats. <laughs> were you on that float? I was. Yeah. No, I was on this year's cockapillar. <laughs> it's a cockafly now. It was kind of hard to get it up, but you know, other but by God, punchline. <laughs> it's kind of hard to get it up, and you know, what other, other offensive jokes. <laughs> so by 1973, have a co- respect for the cockapillar. <laughs> Please God. By 1973, a coalition formed by owners of a gay bathhouse who lobbied complaints about the lewd behavior of the parade, mainly that this sort of conduct left the gay community open to harsh criticisms of those outside of the community. Like I said, it sort of split up the community in two of those who wanted to sort of be seen as respectable members of society and those who wanted to counter that. And it was decided that there'd be no gay pride parade that year. But the very next year, 1974, gay filmmaker Pat Rocco led the charge to bring the parade back along with a festival to go with it. This year, it would start on Sunset and Cherokee. This pride parade festival offered the community gay or straight rides, games, food, and information booths for the curious. Goes on for another about six years. And in around 1979, there were a lot of different things going on. On top of LAPD hassling the parade participants for years, there were redevelopments through the city of Hollywood, which were making it harder to continually have the parade either down Sunset or Hollywood. The parade was then moved to an unincorporated section of Los Angeles County down on Santa Monica Boulevard between Crescent Heights to Robertson Boulevard. This is now where the parade continues to thrive as the residents and local officials were very supportive of the LGBT community. So in 1984, this area was incorporated and is now known as West Hollywood. Hmm. The city of West Hollywood waives all permit fees and now has consistently been supported for the celebration. In addition, the city has paid for the sheriff's deputies needed to police the parade route, which is pretty cool. So the gay pride parade sort of helped create West Hollywood. Yeah, it was one of, it was one of the the chicken um, and egg situation. Exactly. So the 80s as a whole were like a rough decade for the community because of the AIDS and HIV epidemic and whatnot. But it didn't diminish the pride involved in pride parades, which were no longer just in three big cities. It seemed like most big cities had the gay pride parade. And I don't know if I said it already. First one here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah, that's first right. one. I don't know if I said that already. Through the decades since its formation, they've always had something to fight against. In the 80s, like I said, it was a stigma of like HIV and AIDS that had been placed on the community. In the 1990s, they rallied against don't ask, don't tell laws in the military. In the 2000s, the parade was all about a marriage and family mm-hmm. equality. In 2010, Mayor Antonio Villagrosa opened the doors to the Getty House, which was the residence of the mayor, and offered it up for the first LA Pride Garden Party, which was the first that times it's ever happened. Wait a minute. The mayor lives in a house called the Getty House? Yeah, well, I guess when you're the mayor, you live in the Getty House. No, Cockapillar, you have to stay home. This is a black tie event. Uh-huh. Oh, just throw some come on. black paint on him. In 2011, Villagrosa declared June as LGBT Heritage Month in the city of LA, which is pretty cool. This yeah. month has been very gay-friendly. Uh, yeah, for the most part. For the most part. <laughs> so, 2016. <laughs> a year of progress now. Last year in 2015, marriage equality was fought for and won on the side of gay and lesbian and transsexuals and bisexuals, which was a huge deal, not only because now they have equal rights to get married, but they also have the tax stuff and the house hospital visits and such. And then on June 12th, a nameless idiot nut job in Orlando, Florida took a crazy people gun into the Pulse nightclub and committed the worst mass shooting in history up to this point, but give it a week or so and then someone's going to try to outdo that. Tragic, but that's in Florida. Greg, stay in the West Coast. Well, the very next day, LAPD apprehended someone who had plans on taking explosives and a loaded gun to the Pride Parade with intent on raining on the parade. Good job, LAPD, really, on stopping that. And thank you so much to those people who ratted him out. Good job. (laughs) It could have been a real bummer episode to do research on. LA Pride, 2006. 
vaccine runs from June 10th to 12th, so you missed it mm-hmm. at West Hollywood Park. See you next year, Cockapillar. Christopher Street West funding comes mainly from the Pride Festival fees, beverage and admission charges, corporate sponsorship, and the parade entry fees. Any surplus funds accumulated by CSW are returned to the community through various programs. Do they not do the Cockapillar anymore? I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think that they had a float of a large penis <laughs> floating around Santa Monica Boulevard. You don't think they would? I mean, like... I feel like that's exactly <laughs> what would happen. How could that be? Because it's very funny. I mean, it's <laughs> super funny, yeah. You can't just parade something like that around the street. Jim Morrison got arrested because of that. Yeah, that was a different time. You're right. And he was straight. It wasn't easy for straight people back then. I went to the you gay... You can't yell at them for having a penis out. Their rights are different. <laughs> I was at the gay pride parade in Vancouver once. Oh, yeah? And, like, it's a lot of naked people, so I wouldn't be surprised if a paper mache naked person... Yeah. Well, just one part of the naked person. Yeah. See, that's what I don't understand is, like, okay, it's, it's illegal to be naked in public. Not during a parade, <laughs> which is why I'm never in jail. <laughs> I always find it. Oh, it's National Dog Parade Day. <laughs> Keeping in the general Hollywood area. Yeah. Let's talk about something um, else. Elves? Did you say elves? Yeah, let's talk about something else. It was the month before Christmas and all through Hollywood, not a creature was stirring. Except a parade. I wanted to stop you saying that so bad. <laughs> I wanted to cut. That. I wanted to pull your mic out. Don't finish this. Don't pull finish a Pete this. Seeger on me. <laughs> I'm going electric, baby. No matter what you think. Bring in the electric cockapella. <laughs> it won't stop lighting up. It won't stop lighting up my pants. <laughs> my heart. Everybody's favorite holiday tradition: a march through 90 degree weather in November. Yay! The Hollywood Christmas Parade is a heartwarming tale of cheer and goodwill that was rooted in an attempt to boost sales. Commercialism and Christmas together in one day? Yeah, the nerve. What is this? What have the naughty elves taken over Christmas? The ones that really like money? The ones that Hitler hated? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a few of mine are rooted in that sort of you know commercialism grossness. But hey, yeah. it's all about the money, money, money. Money, 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 write that checks. Money, 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 1920s, Hollywood. Dreams are being made left and right. What's not being made? A profit. Yep. And not the profit that came on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> he was being made. If you know what I mean. <laughs> the studios were doing fine in Hollywood, but the local businesses on Hollywood Boulevard, struggling, not doing so good. No, one, no one's buying kinky boots and not tickets to the... Not tickets to kinky boots? No, those are selling. Are people buying snow globes that say Hollywood? (laughs) Are people buying fake Oscars? The snow globes melted because it was so hot (laughs) and the Oscars also melted because it was so hot. (laughs) So keep in mind at this time in the 20s, Broadway downtown was in its heyday and everyone was doing their shopping there, not on the new and unproven Hollywood Boulevard. Eye rolls, eye rolls, eye rolls. (laughs) The local merchants on Hollywood Boulevard understood this and in 1924 they banded together as a subset of the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce people who brought you the walk of fame to form the retail merchants bureau float not yet (laughs) their strategy was to promote hollywood boulevard to the world as the world's largest department store i love how this area along with the hollywood sign when they want to advertise they go like to the nines like we're gonna blow up a building (laughs) so you want to buy bricks (laughs) we're gonna blow this building up so you better buy everything inside (laughs) of it before we do also your kids are in there and you have to buy their way out you have to buy the locks yeah you have to buy the rope that's tied them up (laughs) if you want to get them off so a good way to do all of this was to draw in as many 
many shoppers as they could during the most wonderful shopping season of all, Christmas time? Oh, what? <laughs> so they started decorating the street during that time of year to make it a more enticing place to yeah. come shop. But in 1928 was when they decided to jolly things up a notch and oh. a guy named Harry Bain gathered money from the business owners and the Hollywood Merchants Association and the Chamber of Commerce to buy two live reindeer from the LA County oh. Park Department. Yep. It's real. It's really happening. Miracle on Hollywood Boulevard. It's really happening. <laughs> Gee, golly. My golly. Oh, my golly. Oh, my golly. So these reindeer would be kept in a barn at Hollywood and at La Brea. Point. <laughs> you try flying away? And you try calling Rudolph? Just do it. I dare you. We can't see him because of the smog. <laughs> Rudolph, with your nose so bright, please cut your way through the smog. So they were kept in a barn at Hollywood and La Brea for public viewing for the Christmas season, but their real purpose was to draw a sleigh carrying Santa Claus and a different celebrity every night until oh, cool. Christmas. They also brought in a hundred fir trees from Big Bear and lined the stretch of Hollywood Boulevard from Vine to La Brea with them. No need. The Otto K. Olison Illuminating Company, located at Selma and Vine, then decorated the trees with a total of almost 10,000 lights, making it the most brightly lit street in the world at the time. <laughs> so the businesses on the street got in the spirit also and started putting up holiday displays even better than the ones their neighbors were doing. Everyone was trying to one-up each other. Yeah. The Pig and Whistle had a choir singing in it every single My night. God. A whistling choir made of pigs. That's why the name came. They had no name. What are we going to call this place? Well, why don't we name it after this weird freak show we're putting on every night? <laughs> it was called Fisties before, but they had to change it. So at the very first event, it had Santa being carried on a chariot down the brightest street in the world by two <laughs> live reindeer sitting next to an actress named Jeanette Loff. Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, mama, is that Jeanette Loff? Yes, son, and that's her producer right next to her. The West Coast Christmas Carol is pretty horrendous and doesn't make a lot of sense, but boy, did we sell a lot of copies of it. Tiny Tim is a hot actress just trying to make it in this crazy world. Tiny Tina. So then this continued every night of the season with a different minor movie celebrity <laughs> taking the reins next to Santa Claus. This is sad. It is pretty sad. Yeah. Once New Year's Day hit, the trees got replanted at the Hollywood Bowl. Jeanette Loft continued on her path to modern day obscurity. <laughs> Santa went back to jail and the reindeers <laughs> were shipped to the glue factory and the holiday season was officially over. And this was the first time this strange procession was made a consistent thing, but it seems that a less formal version of it went on for the couple of years before 1928. This got things going, but there was already a Christmas parade downtown with floats that tens of thousands would go see. So Hollywood needed to up its game. And yep. if there's one thing Hollywood knows how to do, it's beat downtown into submission. Yeah. No one's going to the damn Cecil anymore. They're going to come up here where we murder people. <laughs> to the Roosevelt, <laughs> where Fred Mertz dies. So in the 1929 edition, Mayor John C. Porter officially renamed Hollywood Boulevard Santa Claus Lane for the month of December. It, like, it was legal. Like Businesses changed their address to show, like, no, we're, we're not 123 Hollywood Boulevard. We're 123 Santa Claus Lane. Ho, please, ho, ho. Please give me money. This was a good start. And then the depression hit. Oh, as no. usual. There was no parade in 1930, but by jolly, they made a point of coming back the next year and point they made on December 12th, 1931. But this year was different. It was no longer going to be a month-long drawn-out death march of Santa and soon-to-be-dead starlets. <laughs> the Christmas celebration in Hollywood was going to take place on one night. One night only. Okay, one night only. Santa Claus is coming to town. That's one night you, only. That's how you sell it. One night only. Yes. Everything right. must snow. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh, cockapillar. I get it. Like a centipede. 
like a cockapede. <laughs> the old sleigh and the tired reindeer, those were gone, and they were replaced by an actual float complete with a sleigh for fake reindeer, yes. which you don't have to feed as much, a snow machine, and a PA system to scream at shoppers, all brought to you once again by Otto K. Olison. But the 1932 parade on December 10th was when it actually became a full-blown parade. It wasn't just this weird fat man yeah. going on this hunk of garbage down hell street was it don Peck rickles street. with a beard floating around yelling at everyone hey you merry christmas yeah yeah cubo <laughs> first off the 1932 one it was given an official name the santa claus lane parade I like that. it also had its first grand marshal joe e brown <gasps> the guy from some like Sunday. it hot who used to play baseball against the cubs on catalina the yeah. guy who wants to marry jack lemon <laughs> yeah in uh, the movie and in real life he, he wouldn't let the character go <laughs> stop calling me friend oh but i can't <laughs> on the float with Santa were Gloria Stewart, who would grow up to be the old lady from Titanic, and Lawrence Grant, who would go on to be in a couple of universal horror movies. Anything good? Uh, no. But in this one, it wasn't just the Santa float. American Legion Uh. Post 43 also lent their color guard and drum and bugle corps to march alongside it, and also more celebrities that we don't know of. But the biggest change this year was the absence of the big bear trees. Problem was, the trees kept dying and or getting hit by cars, so they replaced them with metal wreaths that they put on the light poles, each one with a picture of a celebrity that was going to be in the parade. Wow, okay. Yeah, so like those like soldiers that we've lost. (laughs) But Christmas just isn't Christmas without a a nice woodsy tree. So they put up one 16 foot, 750 pound metal tree on the street covered oh in lights God. that were flipped to the on position by the Grand Marshal. And then you all had to go home <laughs> when the lights are on. Shut your doors. The marauders are out. Let's all gather around the metal triangle kids that lights up. Yeah. Gong, gong. And probably has like a horrible buzzing sound like the one we're listening to right but, now. <laughs> but as the 30s went on, much like Santa's waistline, the parade just kept getting bigger and bigger. 1933 expanded to include not just the floats and celebrities, but also bands, equestrian teams, and city officials. The USC Trojan Marching Band joined the parade. They eventually got rid of the weird headshot wreaths and replaced them with something better, but equally strange, big metal trees covered in 160 lights, each placed on top of the light bulbs, so they look like giant Astro Pops. (laughs) And by golly, if people didn't lick them. Just like palm trees more. (laughs) That's all? No, we want to be the East Coast. It doesn't make sense. We have a different climate. Grapefruits. <laughs> the celebrities started getting a little better also. The 1936 parade had Betty David, as I wrote down here, wow. Betty Davis oh, as I, Grand I Marshal. All of Betty David's movies. <laughs> all about Steve. So Betty David was Grand Marshal, <laughs> and the ever-present Mary Pickford cut the ribbon to start that parade. What Some, year was that in? 1936. Some other celebrities in it during this era were Rudy Valley, George Burns, Gracie Allen, wow. Basil Rathbone, wow. Roy Rogers, Jack Benny, chauffeured by Rochester, Ooh, and being Bing Crosby. Bink Crosby? Binky Crosby. <laughs> <Little> Binky Crosby. <laughs> the parade as a local cultural event was really picking up steam, but then World War II hit, oh, and they God. needed that steam to make bullets. <laughs> <laughs> Between 1942 to 44, the parade was suspended because the Grinch went and invaded Poland. But during this time... <laughs> But during this time, people still wanted Christmas to happen in Hollywood, and what they got sounded kind of like a nightmare. Those Astro Pop trees were prime bullet material, so those were gone, but yeah. instead they put up these, they put up four foot tall cardboard chimneys with giant paper mache Santa heads popping out of them all the way down the street. Like decapitated heads impaled to keep marauders. To keep Santa away. To keep Santa away, yeah, the real Santa. This is what we did to your predecessors. Come no further, fat man. 
you're not welcome here. <laughs> and instead of a parade, one of the souvenir shops set up something called an elf grotto. No, no, those, yeah. no. And the scariest part, there was no further elaboration on what that was. Oh. Welcome to the elf grotto. There is no escape. The only grotto I'm familiar with is the one at the Playboy Mansion, and to make it an elf grotto just grosses me out. <laughs> Hats on, nothing else. <laughs> Once 19.5 rolled around and the Grinch had swallowed a cyanide pill in a bunker in Berlin, Hollywood was ready once again to get this parade going. They poured $120,000 into it with Bob Hope and Jack Benny as Grand Marshals, uh, and a record 300,000 people came out to watch it. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, the war was over. Everyone's back home. The 1946 parade had Grand Marshal Gene Autry riding his horse, uh, Champion, down Hollywood Boulevard in front of the coming Santa float, and as he was riding, he heard kids shouting, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus. Not long after, he went into a recording studio and recorded a song inspired by those chants, here comes Santa Claus, mm, right down wow. Santa Claus Lane, which oh, is the name of the street. Wow. Yeah, that's where the song came from. That's Hollywood legend. You're talking Hollywood legends now. We're talking Hollywood legends here. <laughs> 1948 was another milestone as the parade became the first local parade televised to the people of Los Angeles. It was broadcast only in Hollywood. The rest of the 40s and 50s showed steady interest in the parade. It was expanded to include more floats and bands and celebrities. Clowns and animals got invited nope. also. Oh, in 1956, 500,000 people came to watch it with Red Skelton as Grand Marshal. But starting this year, they weren't allowed to have any more lighted trees on the street because the fire department said the wiring wasn't safe. Good, that, that crazy industrial wasteland Christmas is done. <laughs> in 1958, there were over 150 celebrities in it, but already the caliber of star was going down. The most memorable name from that year was Betty White. Through the 60s and 70s, the parade started losing its popularity and they couldn't wrangle as many celebrities as they used to. But in 1978, they made one last ditch effort to save the parade from the holiday oblivion that Hanukkah and Kwanzaa live in. <laughs> the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce asked the owner of the Western Costume Company and big Hollywood promoter John Golden for tips on how to revamp the parade. His plan? To basically rebrand the parade to emphasize the celebrity aspect of it. No, don't do that. It's stupid. Who do you think you are? It's Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood. Hollywood. Greg Rin, Hollywood. <laughs> so celebrities were always the big draw, but now the celebrity glamour allure of Hollywood itself was the selling point, which yeah. is why they renamed it the Hollywood Christmas Parade. Santa Claus like doesn't that. sell anymore. <laughs> it pretty much became a marketing tool the same way that the Walk of Fame is. Only now, instead of selling businesses, they were selling Hollywood itself. The second man they went to to revamp this thing was future honorary mayor of Hollywood, Johnny Grant, who at the time was simply vice president of public affairs for KTLA, and he convinced KTLA to broadcast the parade, allowing it to be seen not just locally, but by a national and international audience as other stations got on board also. Johnny Grant also convinced Gene Autry, who was always a big supporter of the parade, to give a lot of money, and he also started hosting big after parties to get more celebrities interested in participating if for nothing else than just to go to this weird after party. Yeah. During this era, they managed to pull in people like Jimmy Stewart, Charlton Heston, Sammy Davis Jr., Clint Eastwood, Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner, where one is, you will find the other, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger and both get this Mickey and Minnie Mouse <gasps> Mickey and Minnie. Mickey and Minnie. Oh, va, va, vu, Minnie. Ooh, la, la. Who? Mickey. Oh, I didn't see you there, Mr. Mouse. <laughs> oh, I apologize uh, for being fresh with your lady friend here. <laughs> just her ears are so appealing. The 1978 parade was so big that 50,000 people got turned away from watching it because it was too crowded. In response to that, in 1979, they expanded the parade route to include a part of Sunset, also making the total parade route 3.5 miles long. But for whatever reason, Hollywood just can't sustain its interest in Christmas. Every few decades, people 
people lose their religion. They lose mm-hmm. the faith in Christ. Mm. Sinners, mm, all of them, mm, brimstone, mm, die in it. Come to the Illuminati. We <laughs> welcome you. Leave your inhibitions at the door. It went on consistently through the 80s and 90s, but slowly and slowly the caliber of celebrities started to fade again until 2004 when NBC did a whole special on the parade and nobody cared. Then in 2005, they stopped showing it on TV because it wasn't worth the cost to broadcast it. Then in 2006, they barely had any celebrities who wanted to take part in it and they lost $100,000 putting it on. And then finally in 2007, it was canceled briefly before the LA City Council voted to sponsor it and kept it going, although now under the name The Hollywood Santa Parade because the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce owns the rights to the name Hollywood Christmas Parade. But a couple years after the Chamber of Commerce got back on board and they gave the name back, it's not as popular these days by fans or celebrities. Nah. It used to be a sign that you've made it to be a part of this parade, but now it's just guys from The Bachelor and things like that, <laughs> which they have made it. Yeah. But still, it's called the largest celebrity parade in the world. And for that, they cover a part of Hollywood Boulevard in red carpet. They don't cover it in white fluid as the <laughs> gay pride parade once did. Snow? The carpet in 2013 set the record for the longest red carpet ever oh, at cool. 60 feet by 900 feet, which is still not long enough for me. <laughs> but still, the last few grand marshals have been mostly cool. Last year was Penn and Teller. But before that, it was Stevie Wonder, Ooh, my favorite fun. magician. And before that, <laughs> it was Buzz Aldrin. Really? Buzz Buzz. Old Stinky himself. <laughs> Stinky. I just like to put nicknames he's on people. He's not stinky. Just because the moon is made of stinky cheese? You think he still smells like he's that? He's stinky. You can't get rid of that thing. <laughs> if you want to go watch it, it's always held the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Okay. If you want to sit in a grandstand, tickets range from 45 to $85 and it lasts about two hours. If you want to watch for free, you can line up on the parade route, which starts in front of the Chinese theater, goes east on Hollywood to Vine, makes a right down Vine to Sunset and then a right and goes down Sunset to Orange in front of Hollywood High School. From what I hear, the Sunset part of it is less crowded. Over 1 million come to watch every year. They show it on TV again on KTLA and apparently Hallmark also, but I watched the last year's version on KTLA and it's like so heavily edited. It's like, here comes Kermit. Okay, bye Kermit. Uh, here's Star Wars. Bye Star Wars. Here's the concept of Star Wars. <laughs> this year will be the 85th one on November 27th at 5pm. I don't know how to end this story any other way by saying that supposedly NBC discovered David Letterman when he was helping broadcast this parade one year. That's, oh. They saw him doing that and That's pretty cool. like, hey, this guy's wacky, wacky, fun, fun. He is wacky, wacky, fun, fun. Mm -hmm. Not anymore, but he was. No. He's dead now. If you're not on TV, you're dead to me. So you must be saying to me, Greg, I know parades have people walk in, horses carrying people, big displays of roses and whatnot. But where are the chariots? Venice Beach is the answer. Because if it's (laughs) not... Because if it's wacky and unironic, it's in Venice. (laughs) Keep singing like this. The Festival of the Chariots is an Indian parade. (laughs) The Festival of the Chariots, as I was saying, is an Indian parade that starts at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium and lands at the Venice Beach Boardwalk going down Main Street two miles in distance. This parade slash festival, because it's kind of both, has the oldest roots of the parades that I did research for, going back thousands of years. What? goes back thousands of years to the Jigannatha Piri. All right, let's end this episode right here. <laughs> I don't like what you said. This is the Illuminati code. Jigannatha Puri, which is on the Bay of Bengal. The festival celebrates Lord Jigannatha, who was seen as the Lord of the Universe. Mm. Once a year, the deity emerges from the inside of a temple to go on a ride on a canopy chariot up a broad <laughs> and avenue. And it's Viper. <laughs> he loves the loops. Born uh, to be wild. Uh, so he leaves the temple and he, he goes created on- to be wild. <laughs> <laughs> so he takes this ride in a canopy chariot up a broad avenue to the Garden Temple of Wandika, which is miles away. And he does this for the 
the pleasure of his worshippers. Get a load of me, he'll say, <laughs> riding by on a float. At the garden temple of Wandika, Lord Jigannatha enjoys the more simple and spontaneous worship of his most confident spiritual. So he goes up there to be worshipped in a more private way. I don't know much about uh, Indian deities, but from what I do know about them, they seem very vain, a lot of them. <laughs> like, they love get attention. I've only read, like, cartoons for kids in India about their deities, but <laughs> I'm going to say with certainty that, you know, they're vain. That's thousands of years ago. 16th century, Lord Caitanya was a spiritual personality of which Hare Krishna is based from, lived for 24 years in the city of Puri, and would lead his followers into fun time dancing and chanting before the chariots. Which makes sense now that I find out the festival is put on by the International Society of Krishna Consciousness, the I-S-K-C-O-N Isk-Khan And the proceeds of the festival go to India for food relief. Lord Caitanya made the Chariot Festival the most significant religious celebration in India. It took off in the 1960s and 70s when His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktiva Danta Swami Purhabda Hubpada 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 I'm not sure which of that was stammering and which one was the... Ready? I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it as best as possible. I'm going to go slow. Okay. His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktiv Danta Swami Prabhupada. Well done. Thank you. Who was another spiritual master and a descendant of Caitanya. He introduced this style of chariot festival throughout the world. The first time the festival was introduced and performed outside of India was on our west coast, but more north. It was in San Francisco and led mm. led by his divine grace. They ignore that fact. <laughs> it was actually led by divine grace Prabhupada in July of 1967. He's the founder of Iskhan, which now sponsors the festival, like I said, and Prabhupada is a 10th generation Lord Chitanya. This is going to make sense to somebody. <laughs> I really hope this makes sense to somebody. <laughs> They're not here. But I understand you're in the room, and, well, it's just me and you. <laughs> it's just me, you, and Vishnu, <laughs> which is the name of my romantic comedy. The celebration also corresponds to the Indian Independence Day, August 15th, which has a chariot parade, or Ratha Yathra. Isn't it funny that, like, all the Independence Days are from Britain? Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, rock the vote, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye, Britain. Hello, Hello, European Union. That's a little bit stronger without them. Hey, listen, you want to run away from home? No one's going to stop you. <laughs> you just float out into the North Sea. Whatever you want to do, Britain, <laughs> have fun. So the very first LA Festival of the Chariots occurred in August of 1977 and featured three six-ton chariots that were 50 feet high with painted elephants and decorated with balloons and flowers. <laughs> there are always three chariots for the festival, one for each of the three deities, Lord Jagannatha, Lord Balarama, and Lady Sabhadra. Along with the dancing to the rhythm of the chariot, those hundred or so people in front of the chariots are pulling with long, thick rope while chanting sacred mantras. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Oh no, you've summoned them. Get out of here, Beetlejuice. <laughs> we didn't say your name. Along with the chariots coming down the main street, there are singers and dancers, which the first festival drew in about like 2,000 people. Bukanda Das, the public affairs representative for the Ali Krishna chapter, said that it's important to have this festival because all the rest of the year, people have to go to temple for spiritual nourishment. But on this day, the, com- the temple... To go to Venice. The, the temple the, comes to Venice. <laughs> temple comes to Venice. Temple comes to the people. The first year, the parade went down Oceanfront Walk from Pico Boulevard in Santa Monica, but now has since changed. On the route to Venice, there are exhibition tents, East Indian bazaars, vegetarian feasts, elephant mm. rides, puppet shows, petting zoos. Ooh, elephant pr- parade. Elephant pride parades. <laughs> we're here and we're elephants and we're never going to forget. They now see something like 50,000 people walking down Main wow. Street along the coast, tugging rope and beautiful chariots. So they're like, they're heave, ho, like pulling these giant things. Yeah, and like dancing and chanting and stuff. <laughs> I don't think everyone's pulling the thing, but they sh- probably should because they look heavy. The Festival of Chariots can offer to many residents of Los Angeles the rare opportunity to see free performances by some of India's most famous classical musicians and dancers, as well as plays by famous Indian actors and actresses. The festival also has skilled craftsmen and artisans giving live demonstrations of Indian art along with expert chefs putting together Indian dishes really quick the most important thing 
<laughs> Put that down. Oh, sorry. I had a puppy, <laughs> a really friendly puppy. <laughs> Goodbye, chap. I gave birth to a puppy, sorry. <laughs> I think that the most important thing about this is that in a city that has so many different ethnic groups in such a small space, and yes, I'd refer to it as a small space, it's important <laughs> to celebrate that diversity and showcase what makes each culture unique. And it doesn't seem like Indian and Indian Americans have many opportunities to do that. So this festival is like yeah. one of those things to be like, here, this is everything we have <laughs> in like two miles span. It is a very prideful parade, and I'm very happy. I've never been to one, but I think I've like been stopped in traffic by one. <laughs> so you want to talk about diversity being celebrated. I do a little bit, yeah. Not too much. Let's talk about uh, a parade that the diversity is a little mm. bit complicated. We'll get into I that. I believe. How can it be complicated diversity? I mean, we're all a little bit different, but why is that going to separate us as a people? Can we all wear kimonos? Put a kimono on right now. <laughs> no, he's doing it again. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about a little thing called La Fiesta. While you talk, I'm going to take a siesta. <laughs> La Fiesta. Sure. It may not be the oldest parade in LA or the most popular, and it might not still exist in the same <laughs> form as it used to, but what it was was a marketing ploy. The setting, Los Angeles in the late 1800s, a slightly less sleepy Pueblo town. But in 1893, the country was hit by what they referred to as the panic. A similar thing would happen in the 30s. They'd call it the depression. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, I'm prone to both. With the economy taking a big hit, business wasn't good and many people were losing jobs. To try to fight back, some local business owners formed the Merchants Association to try to band together and stay afloat. <gasps> To do this, they had to do something that would get people buying again, even though they didn't have money for it. One of the members of this association was named Max Myberg. He was a Jewish-German immigrant who came to LA via New York and San Francisco in 1875, and at the time owned the Crystal Palace Crockery and Glass Store, a glamorous job for a glamorous time. <laughs> he saw that in 1894, San Francisco was having their San Francisco exhibition, and he thought, well, if people are already coming to the West Coast to see San Francisco, maybe they could be convinced to take a quick trip south while they're here. Here. So Myberg proposed a little celebration of our own. There had always been celebrations and festivals during the Spanish and Mexican days of California, but nothing like that was really happening anymore at the time. There was the Rose Parade, which we'll get to soon, but that was just one day, and also that was in Pasadena. Yeah. They could convince people to come from San Francisco to downtown LA, but never to Pasadena. Are you kidding me? That's the gold line. I was going to take a stupid gold line. <laughs> they, the only gold line they want is in Sutter's Mill. <laughs> and it's a, it's a, it's a gold mine. Take oh. my gold mine, please. <laughs> no, but please don't. Climb jumper! <laughs> I'll kill you! <laughs> what Myberg wanted was a revival of those multi-day celebrations of the past, but with a little bit of flavoring, a dash of Mardi Gras, a smidge of World Columbian Exhibition of Chicago, and a dash? Did I already say that? I think you did. What are sprinkles? No, that's not enough. How about like a brick of the San Francisco <laughs> Midwinter Fair? Mix it all in a pot and then throw a brick at it, because you're eating out tonight. And in bringing tourists and locals out to downtown for the celebration, it could just give the local economy the jolt it needed. Yeah. The rest of the merchants loved the idea and the plans began. But first off, what to name such a bacchanal? They asked the public for suggestions. And out of 250 suggestions, which were eat my shorts, mm. go sit on it. Up, a dude. Up your nose with a synthetic hose because they didn't know what rubber was yet. Uh, that's a World War II thing. The finalists were La Fiesta de los Flores. Okay. Feast of the Flowerland. Nope. The Angels Carnival. Gross. And the eventual winner, 
La Fiesta de Los Angeles, a name the mostly gringo city could not pronounce. <laughs> they went with that one because it captured the essence of what the festival aimed to do, which was recapture the supposed celebrations of the old days. Now, where to hold this sort of bacchanal? I'll use it again. The answer was pretty much everywhere downtown. Rooftops. Rooftops lofts, didn't exist theaters. yet. That was a World War II thing. A Belgian undertaker named Victor Ponet, Ponet if you want to get Belgian about it. I don't. He offered the use of his land at the area surrounded by what is now Pico, Grand, 12th, and Hope, where they set up grandstands for the judges to judge the floats in the parade that would circle around this block. So for this reason, this area was known as Fiesta Park up until the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Some festivities happened in Pershing Square, somewhere at City Hall, and Hill and Broadway, Spring and Main were all used as parade routes for the many parades that happened during this festival. Now that there was a name and locations, this celebration needed its own flag. What's a celebration without a flag? Nothing. It's a block party. That's what separates the block parties from the festivals. A flag. A flag. A uh, damn good flag. The, the heck of a flag. <laughs> She's a grand old flag. She's a high flying flag. And her amber waves of grain or something. The design they came up with was made up of three colors red, green, and yellowish orange. Ugh. In tribute to the agricultural products the city's growth depended on and to Bob Marley. Blood. Blood. Grass. Blood. Infection. <laughs> pus. The red was for the vineyards. Oh. Green for the olive trees. Nope. Yellowish orange for the. Soul. A soul. Wait, what? <laughs> no, it's for the oranges. God, you dummy, dumb, dumb, dumb. Soul. You've got your mind in the Hindu celebration of the sun, man. <laughs> it's all about oranges. People all over the city. Naranjas. People all over the city got in the spirit and started decorating their homes in these colors in anticipation of the big fiesta. Yes. Municipal buildings were wrapped in the colors, as were light poles that also got decorated with palm leaves and pepper tree boughs. And they had a picture of every orange that would be in the parade on every With the name under it. Yeah. The LA Times even published a poem about the color decorating going on. Mary had a little lamb. It's fleece. I'm about to do my uh, Andrew Dice Clay. Okay. Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> oh my God. And you know what she did? She beat it. That's <laughs> <laughs> spot on. Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece could not be seen. For Mary had adorned it with the yellow, red, and green. That's when poetry really meant something in this country. <laughs> These three ugly colors would later go on to be incorporated as the colors of the flag of Los Angeles. So that's why it's that weird oh, looking yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it stands for. So with everything set and properly painted, the festivities began on April 8th, 1894. On this day, a procession of chariots and decorated wagons rode to City Hall. They rode to City Hall where they staged a mock overthrowing of the government and arrested Mayor Thomas E. Rowan and the police chief John M. Glass. A coup? It was a thinly veiled coup d'etat. They then replaced them with a carnival mayor and council and placed the festival queen that had been crowned at what is now Pershing Square, Suzanne Bate Child, as the temporary ruler of Los Angeles. That's pretty cool. It is a lot of fun. So many executions she ordered. (laughs) Right away, too. Didn't even think about it. Now that I'm in charge, round up the Chinese. She also held her court in Pershing Square, which was filled with young ladies from different areas of the city. So the okay. harem was all there. Oh boy, the debutante's ball got ugly. <laughs> it turned into eyes wide shut the whole city. <laughs> Why is everyone carrying prices around? Oh no. During the takeover ceremony, a man stood at City Hall and said, Behold, the beautiful citizens assembled to avenge your wrongs. When a government by its tyranny becomes unbearable, there is nothing to destroy it but revolution. We prepare to destroy the tyranny of this government, and in order that it may be fair, propose to try it by jury. Whether it is right or wrong, don't make any difference. We propose to arrest it and bring to trial this municipal government and bury its officers 110 feet deep with their faces downward, at which point the LAPD mobilized and shot them all. (laughs) 
Is this still a marketing pitch to get them to sell uh, like carpets? Hostile takeover sold back then. (laughs) This is insane. They kept saying that it was a ceremonial takeover, but I also read that they legally got control of the city during the festival. Like they could have done anything. The honor system. Yeah, we trust you. Just just tell us when you're done. (laughs) Don't do anything, you know, fair. (laughs) So now that the revolution was complete and anarchy reigned supreme, the festivities started officially with the firing of a cannon from the top of the LA Times building, which is the second scariest noise that building would ever hear. <laughs> that was followed by bells and train whistles and people shooting guns all around downtown. This rang in almost a week of fireworks, parades, and music. They bragged that all the bands in the city were on hand for the festival, meaning a total of 70 men. The worst jam session <laughs> the city's ever heard. They all played tuba. If 70 men wasn't enough, they also brought in bands from out of town. There was a masked ball one night at the Hazards Pavilion at 5th and Olive. There was an official Fiesta March song, which I could not find. There were also plays being put on in theaters around town, including one with an actor named Edwin Booth. That no, name sound familiar? It can't be. John Wilkes Booth's brother. What? Yeah. Our very own adopted celebrity. He stayed at the Cecil. <laughs> he just loaded and unloaded guns all day. <laughs> My brother was right. My brother was right. My brother was right. He took the fall for me. He took the fall for me. He took the fall for me. <laughs> he didn't shoot nobody. I did it. I did it. Some of the days during this festival even had specific themes to them. April 10th was the historical parade. This consisted of nine floats that showed the linear history of the city. The first float was prehistoric California, which featured a bunch of humans, not humans. Well, yes, they are humans, but you'd be surprised based on the way they were treated during these festivities, which we're going to get to soon. Humans pretending to be Aztecs. Then there was a float for the discovery of California with a model of Juan Cabrillo's ship. Next was the old missions float with a recreation of the bells of San Gabriel Mission and guys dressed as friars. Did they leave out all the bad stuff? We'll get to that. Oh, great. Next came the float of atrocities. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a whip. (laughs) (laughs) And the sound of people crying. (laughs) Then after that, a float for the coming of the Americans showing wagons coming from the east and surrounded on the street with cowboys on horses. Then the early mining days showing guys panning for gold in front of Sutter's Mill, which is a representation of the gold mine. Gold Uh, come a mine. Then the irrigation float showing natives on barren land and then next to them, a well irrigated oasis. Next was boom and busted boom. Is it just two floats firing cannons at each other? (laughs) Boom. Busted Boom. It was the original battleship. (laughs) Boom and Busted Boom depicted the real estate boom, which had merchants fishing for suckers, floating on a safe and drinking, and also a business office with all the cubicles empty, except for one with a sad guy in a suit sitting in it with nothing to do. Wow. That's pretty naked. Perfect job for a parade, I would say. Last was Solid Prosperity, which was a chariot covered in overflowing cornucopias and a big sack with a dollar sign pointed on it. Not much subtlety in the early days. Of Los Angeles. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Boom. Bye. Boom. Boom. Bye. April 11th was the Carnival Night Parade that went three blocks along Spring with marchers holding hundreds of lit torches and floats lit up by Chinese lanterns, which sounds very fascist. That was the Illuminati night, but they just illuminated the night. (laughs) It was a different organization then. (laughs) April 12th was the Children's Parade, which is pretty much what you'd think it is. And April 13th was the Floral Parade. This one had carts and chariots full of flowers paraded around the streets of downtown. There was a float called NJ that had kids dressed as flowery angels oh, on it. that's adorable. They were, and, and then they lit them on fire <laughs> with the torches from the night before. You'll never grow up. You'll never grow 
I, we won't let you. <laughs> there was a desert float covered in cacti and succulents, a floral float showing a Spanish ship made of flowers, another mission float that had flowers and vines that the Padres had brought over, a mountain float with a waterfall, an irrigation float with fruits and flowers, and also a flower queen surrounded by a couple dozen girls dressed as butterflies. Like the, I forgot that band's name, whatever. It's uh, also a bee. It was a... Blind lemon, or blind, blind melon. Blind melon. Blind melon. Blind lemon. Blind lemon. So close. <laughs> it's bees and not butterflies. Yeah, none of this makes sense. No, 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 we're off. They also had something called the Flower Wars that had people dueling with swords made of long-stemmed flowers, which got the whole city beat up by San Bernardino. Because <laughs> they brought rifles. They brought a flower stem to a gunfight. The grand marshal of all these festivities was a man named Nick Covarubias, who was described as a prosperous stable owner. Now, remember those humans I was talking about yes. earlier? Let's get into the ugly side of this beautiful festival. The organizers wanted to give what they felt to be an accurate representation of the history of the city, but off the bat, there's two things wrong with that float. First off, there were no humans living in Los Angeles. Second, they were playing Aztecs, who also had nothing to do yeah. with Los Angeles. The reason they had members of the Yuma tribe was because they couldn't find any local natives, so they, they were still in hiding. <laughs> so they brought in about 100 from the Fort Yuma reservation in Arizona in boxcars, like they bring cattle into places, and they paid them each a dollar and made them stay near the train station when they weren't in the parade. Oh. In case they had to evacuate them. Nobody paid them a dollar, which in that day was 50 cents. <laughs> but nobody seemed bothered by any of that. The real controversy came when it was proposed that the local Chinese population be invited to be a part of the festival. And people were, they grabbed their long-stemmed flowers to fight against that one. Some said that the mere idea of having the Chinese in the parade indicated failure. Oh, whoa. And that their presence would lend nothing to the celebration and might result in a serious disturbance. It turned into a big debate but in the end, they decided to invite them, but to rationalize it to themselves, they figured, well, then let's just invite everybody. I love that attitude. <laughs> a great idea fueled by racism. <laughs> so they invited not just the Chinese, but the Japanese, Mexicans, and African-Americans. The Japanese, they chose not to take part in this. I wouldn't. So this decision... Hey, uh, round up the Japanese and let them come over. No, we're good. <laughs> in the boxcars. <laughs> we hosed them down from the humans. I would love all the different cultural backgrounds in one area and just the white people. Great, we're all hanging out. Look <laughs> Look at us. We're all here. Isn't this nice? We're all friends now. (laughs) Can you even understand me? (laughs) This decision rooted in hatred actually ended up turning this festival into a sort of celebration of the diversity of Los Angeles, which is weird to have such a big display of multiculturalism and cultural heritage in the late 1800s. This marked the first time that the Chinese community was invited to take part in a public celebration that wasn't their own in California. And they ended up being the most popular part of the entire festival. They knew this was their chance to kind of get on the good side of the city. So they wanted to do something special. So almost everybody in the Chinese community in LA helped out. They had gongs, they had incense, but the most popular part was similar to the cockapillar. It was a hundred foot long dragon that they borrowed from San Francisco. Kick a live ass. dragon. <laughs> they had to kill him with the other prey because he wouldn't go back on his own. Eat all humans, not humans, humans. Yes, they are included, but we don't want you to be specific. <laughs> we don't mean it in that way. It's not personal. We're eating everybody. Now, while there were a lot of different ethnic groups in this festival and it seemed very inclusive, the way that they were being represented wasn't the most accurate. And in the history portions, they were whitewashing what had really happened to try to keep the history neat and linear. So while people were included, they were still taking part in a celebration of the city that was certainly not celebrating any of them the rest of the year. Baby steps. Yeah, baby steps. Anyway, the fiesta came to a close on the 14th, and we don't know exactly how many people came to take part in it. It was reported that 75,000 people came, but that couldn't 
possibly be true because that was the entire population of the city at the time, but it's safe to say that this was the largest gathering in Southern California yeah. history up to that point. The whole thing cost $10,000, but ended up profiting by a staggering $150, which they gave to the Orphans Asylum. Oh, cool. But the business owners did a lot of business during that week, which meant only one thing. They're making a sequel. <laughs> Fiesta 2. The sequel. Uh, the marked ones. <laughs> For the 1895 one, they upped the budget to 32500 which they used to build a coliseum around Pershing Square, 10 tiers high, covered in flags and banners, and a throne for the queen and her court, and all the parades circled around this queendom. Charles Fletcher Lummis, our old buddy, oh. he got involved this year bringing in some Isleta Pueblo natives that he knew and donated costumes and ceremonial items for them to use from his own personal art archaeological collection, which is my dream. <laughs> he at least tried to make the floats a little bit more historically accurate this year, but to reach the heights they had the year before, the racist organizers had to come to terms with the fact that they needed the Chinese to be part of it. <laughs> Problem was, they didn't want to be part of it because yeah. of the way they were treated the first time around, but well, the, or right. the organizers begged them to come back, so eventually they agreed to it, this time bringing with them, I don't know how this is possible, an 800-foot-long dragon. Yeah, that's not possible. The wingspan alone would take down City Hall. The dragon tradition would eventually transfer over into the Golden Dragon Festival that still goes on in Chinatown yeah. to this day. It was another successful festival, this one. 1896, the Chamber of Commerce and Board of Trade are so impressed that they now get on board funding the festival. Gets even bigger. Bigger dragons. 1897, the Chinese reach new heights and march an actual lion down the streets of downtown Los get Angeles. away from me forever. <laughs> it was more for protection than anything. <laughs> scares the dragon away. <laughs> get a bunch of snakes in the house, you gotta get a mongoose. The mongoose starts reproducing, you gotta get a monkey to kill it. Yep. But then from 18... And you wait for the monkey to evolve. <laughs> and then you fly him into space. <laughs> Which is how you evolve a monkey, by sending him into orbit, and then he comes down a human. Smoking too many cigarettes. <laughs> then from 1898 to 1900, the fiesta was cancelled due to a case of Spanish-American war, followed by a loss of Outbreak. will and or interest in the parade. Okay. But Ooh. then, in 1901, everyone's favorite president William McKinley. He was God. coming to visit Los Angeles, so they decided what better way to restart the fiesta than by using him as the centerpiece, so they pushed it back from its typical date in April to May, when the president would be there, and with this time focus around Main Street. The festival now went stay by- Stay on Main. Stay on Main, if you're the president. <laughs> the festival now went by a new name, borrowed from one of the original finalists, La Fiesta de las Flores. I like that one. It was another big success, and President McKinley was assassinated four months later. On the plus side, <laughs> stay on Main. Edwin Booth! <laughs> We shouldn't have asked him to recreate his brother's <laughs> finest moment. He got ideas. He got ideas. McKinley could have brought this country back together like Lincoln did. <laughs> On the plus side, that same year, the U.S. Postal Service allowed the use of postcards as we now know them with pictures on them. Ah. And many coming out of Los Angeles featured pictures from Fiesta's past, which were flashy and interesting enough to start pulling in more visitors to the city. Many people even credit these postcards and this festival in general as the start of L.A.'s transformation into becoming a major world city. Oh, wow. So the Fiesta went on for several more years, but when World War One hit, it just became too expensive to keep putting on, and by those days, the fun and innocence had mostly gone away and been replaced by people getting drunk and fighting, and apparently they were throwing pepper and ammonia at each other. Pepper and ammonia? World War One humor. They're all insider trench jokes, you know? <laughs> Remember <I'm>... this? <laughs> I saved these from France! <laughs> With World War One, the parade ended, but then... 
the depression hit. This time a good time. And they figured, well, it helped us out of a panic. Why not use it against the depression? So in September 1931, as part of the 150th anniversary celebration of Los Angeles, they decided to resurrect the fiesta. And this time it was going to last 10 days no. because no money and more promises never lets anybody down. <laughs> Leading up to it, people were calling it La Fiasco because nobody thought that this would work, especially since Did it our was... our ancestors write that? Yeah. Gregothy and Danielicus. <laughs> La Fiasco, put that in print. <laughs> put that on wax cylinder. <laughs> nobody thought it would work, especially since it was shaping up to cost them $500,000. Nope, but by it. golly, it did. And it was the best thing to come out of that decade. 300,000 people came to take part oh, wow. and business ended up taking in $3 million. And after that, they kept the festival mostly going until it got derailed by yet another war in the 40s and it stopped again. Uh. It sort of came back in 1972 dressed as Santa Claus thinking we won't recognize it and rebranded <laughs> as a Christmas time parade through downtown known as the Festival of Lights, which mm, copyright on Judaism. Yep. Then in 1973, they tried doing an old fashioned La Fiesta complete with horse and buggies again. Neither were popular and the buggies were sold for reefer. <laughs> They tried yet again in the late 70s as LA Street Scene, which was an outdoor music and food festival that went on until 1986 when it hit financial trouble and was shut down after a guy got shot to death and four others were stabbed at this festival. Edwin Booth. Edwin, he's back again. <laughs> but they finally recaptured some of that original success in 1990 when it was rebooted yet again as La Fiesta Broadway and 500,000 people attended it. In its heyday, this stretched all the way down Broadway from Temple to 7th and was kind of a prelude to Cinco de Mayo. And was even billed as the largest Cinco de Mayo celebration in the world. However, there's just something about parades and festivals downtown that cannot sustain themselves. Yeah. Rats. The rats take over. Rats. Because in recent years, it has been shrinking and shrinking. Yeah. While it used to cover some 24 blocks, this past one, which was their 27th, was only around Grand Park. That's oh all it God. covered. They predicted 300,000 people to show up and they claimed that 500,000 did, but in reality, only about 7,000 people went. The problem, I think, is that downtown is becoming less like Mexican oriented yeah, and also the festival's not very well promoted so not many people know about it but still it sounds like fun they had it the last Sunday of April it's free to get in there's a lot of food and a lot of music by Mexican singers I've never heard of so while the fiesta that now takes place downtown doesn't bear much resemblance to the original one yeah. of the 1800s and doesn't even have a parade anymore it's still of the same bloodline at least and carries on the torch Illuminati of having a sort of central celebration in downtown LA and after a few more decades and a few more wars who knows what what sort of celebration is going to emerge there? <laughs> Some nice beard trimming club. <laughs> Bringing back Broadway and those sort of things could have like parade floats and have a fun thing, but they're mostly just showing off theaters and stuff, which yeah. is good in its own right. But, uh, you know, throw a float in there. Yeah. Throw a rear window You know, float. plow through that street that's filled wall to wall with human. Everyone likes a little bit of danger. <laughs> that's why when I go to bars, I have dynamite strapped to my chest. <laughs> People like Who danger. Who wants to take me home? <laughs> Anyone got a light? You like an ornate display of themed parade floats? Well, yeah, no one does. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no one, no, no one. one, no one, no one. What if I told you this parade had its roots from a hundred-year-old Southern California secret society? Oh. Now you're God, interested, the Illuminati. <laughs> They're back again and making parade floats. So the story of the Tournament of Roses Parade, which I'm covering now, goes back two centuries in the year 1890 with a social club known as the Valley Hunt Club. If you've never heard of them, don't worry, they designed it that way. They're a very aristocrat, patrician, old money type of club. The club's, kind of place. Yep. Old money. I'm very old money. I'm very other people in the Great Gatsby. The club started in 1888, two years after the city of Pasadena was born, by a group of people who came from the East Coast and from the Midwest. And many of these residents of Pasadena 
Pasadena brought with them East Coast attitudes and traditions and lifestyles of the upper middle class, the Valley Hunt Club being an example of that. The word hunt in the title is not a kitsch throwback, but a descriptor, as the club would, along with their many hunting dogs, spend lovely days chasing down jackrabbits and foxes <laughs> in the Arroyo Seco area. And poor people. And poor people. It's the most dangerous game. Back to it's the most valuable game. <laughs> so one of the East Coast traditions was to host a spring-summer display of flowers for the community to see, but in Southern California, particularly Pasadena, the prime growing season was midwinter due to our climate. And instead of saying, oh, no one wants to see our flower arrangements this early in the year, they doubled down. They were quoted as saying, in New York, people are buried in the snow. Here, our flowers are blooming and our oranges are about to bear. Let's hold a festival to tell the world about our paradise. The Valley Hunt Club at the time, led by Professor and Aristocrat Charles D. Holder, who wrote a biography on Charles Darwin later, he was the first president of the club, or he organized a grand display that eventually would turn out to be a day of a parade and games known as the Tournament of Roses. This would be modeled after... Did they fight each other with long-stemmed flowers? I wouldn't call it a fight. It's more of an summarily executed by long-stemmed flowers. <laughs> it's slowly tortured over a long period of time, yes. <laughs> Once the La Fiesta deposed of the mayor and the police chief, send them to the Tournament of Roses to the death. <laughs> It was very gladiator-esque at the time. <laughs> the Terminal Roses would be modeled after the Festival of Roses in Nice, France. I've been there. Sorry, go on. Yeah, you know, old money. You know, <laughs> I throw it around. It was getting dusty. The money was about to go rotten. They planned the event for January 1st, 1890, New Year's Day, and it would have a parade and games and old-timey events. Did someone say ostrich race? <laughs> The parade itself. No, I didn't hear anyone say that. Was that Griffith J. Griffith calling for an ostrich race? That he's been raising ostriches his whole time for this? The parade itself is a sort of grandfather of the modern day rose parade. There were flower decorated horse and buggies going around the track at horse and buggies all over this. That's how they got around. These yeah. stupid horses that are ugly and they smell bad. They were going around the track at what was known as Town Lot, which is east of Los Robles between Colorado and Santa Fe and is now the track field of the California Institute of Technology, which still carries the name Tournament Park. After the parade, the games began. And oh boy. Young men competed in foot races, tugs of war, joust, and something called a tourney of rings, which I saw at a Renaissance Fair, which is roughly the same time period if my research proves right. Ha 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 ha. Oh, boy. A mounted horseman, and it has a lance, right? And another person throws rings in the air, and the horseman has to put the lance through the rings. If you do three rings from 30 feet away, you are like a king. By the end of the parade, the Valley Hunt Club saw more than 2,000 people attend their first Tournament of Roses. Success! Two years later, for the 1892 Rose Parade, there was a severe winter storm causing a huge shortage of roses. That was the only year it was... Paint all of these dandelions. And don't tell us. (laughs) And no one blow. (laughs) So that year, 1892, it was known as the Orange Tournament. Uh And I'm looking forward to 2020 rose parade being called the celebration of cacti <laughs> the gravel parade <laughs> <laughs> the next year 1893 a tradition is started that carries to this day new year's day 1893 landed on a sunday and because they did not want to drive people away from the lord and to a rose float of the lord mm-hmm. they decided to hold the parade the following day and ensued a policy known cryptically as never on sunday yep i'll never get into sunday. that in my next one actually oh my golly goodness. which i call any given sunday <laughs> cameron diaz is in it and i can't get rid of her by 1895 with the tournament of roses parade and day of festivities becoming a city staple, the Valley Hunt Club decided to opt out of their responsibilities to the parade and to concentrate on more secret society endeavors, which I don't know about. Right. We're gonna put it all on oranges. Sell, 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 buy! I'm going to Las Vegas, put it all on orange. <laughs> Sir, I don't understand. <laughs> Sir, you must not be in the Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the secret roulette tables? The ones that have orange on them. <laughs> Where everything is orange. <laughs> And I always win. And every number is 666. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the money. We're in the orange. Sir, you're out of chips. Oh, well, here's uh, lamb's blood. Oh, the most valuable of currency. Thank you, sir. <laughs> the only way that we can feed our lizard overlords. Perfect. <laughs> 
1902, another tradition of the tournament was implemented, the Rose Bowl game. Although there wasn't a Rose Bowl until 1923, when it was decided that Tournament Park was not adequate enough to hold the college football game, it was proven inadequate when 8,500 spectators arrived to Tournament Park, which had a capacity of 1,000 attendees, <laughs> and there was a stampede. <laughs> no one was hurt except football lovers because college football at the Rose Parade was not reinstituted until 1916, a few years before the Rose Bowl opened up. The tradition is now held that the first postseason college game of the new year would be played at the Rose Bowl. The next decade or so of the event had different games and events. Eventually was, in 1913, races between animals such as camels, elephants, and ostriches. And they would race each other. The timeline that I got most of this information from, it read, the first and only camel to elephant race, which means it was only regrettable. <laughs> By the way, the elephant won. <laughs> the camel was never seen again. <laughs> the elephant was wearing camel shoes by the end of that race. <laughs> you're the winner, elephant. Looking better than I've ever seen you before. Well, you're wearing your trophy now. <laughs> that same year, the ostrich race was really popular and apparently one day while racing, it hopped the sidelines, ran towards the judges' booth and chucked the rider to the judges. <gasps> he then politely got up, bowed at the audience and then chased after his ostrich. Oh, I thought the ostrich bowed at the audience. No. <laughs> <laughs> the ostrich has no politeness like that. He has no manners. He's low class. <laughs> Chariot races began in 1904 after the popularity of the novel Ben-Hur. It lasted until 1915, a year that many parade things ended, apparently. This was not cut down because of unpopularity. This was cut down because it was expensive and dangerous. In 1959, William Wrigley Jr. gives the Wrigley Mansion and Gardens to the city of Pasadena to house the Tournament of Roses headquarters. It's off of Garden Grove Boulevard between California and Arbor Street. They offer free tours of the Tournament House from February to August, each Thursday 2 to 3. Just give you a little heads up on that. Okay, let's go over some highlights. Mm -hmm. Ready? Yeah. Let me get out my highlights magazine. Can you find a pencil? Yeah. <laughs> Pencil on the tree, right? Pencil is the tree. <laughs> Always. In 1908, the wires hanging above the parade route were removed, meaning the parade floats were now allowed to be larger than before oh God, and more lavish. Loose. Let the humble indulgence begin. <laughs> in 1901 is the first year that motorized vehicles were allowed as entries, but they were not popular at the time. That unpopularity and wealth designation eventually turned, and with the popularity of gasoline engines and electricity, 1920 was the last year that floats were pulled by horses, but they were later brought back to be ridden on by people. A fond rose... <laughs> ridden on by elephants. <laughs> They Don't you think it should go the other way around? Nah. The elephants win. <laughs> you were talking about reversal of the animal chain is just simply not going to fly. I mean, this is the animal kingdom. Horses on top of elephants? What is this? Bizarro land? No, try to get that elephant hoof into the... <laughs> a fond rose parade memory of mine is watching a battalion being carried down Colorado by horses and in the second group following along, picking up horse poo. <laughs> and I applauded them because they're doing the real work here. I have a rose parade experience. Please tell me. When I was really young, my sister was volunteering to put roses all over one of the things yeah. and then it smelled so bad. I got to go in and see her putting the stuff yeah. on. I couldn't bear the smell. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the worst smell. You'd think like that many roses all together, it was horrible. It I hated it. Well, I'm glad that I did all this research to win you over and I'm glad that old memories like, Yeah, but like it smells. Elephant. The first Rose Queen was Haley Woods in 1905 who made her own gown and helped decorate the float that she rode on. Miss Woods reflected the Hout Coacher movement that was popular in the early 20th century. She was chosen by her classmates at Pasadena High School where she attended. Keep in mind that the annual crowning of a Rose Queen didn't officially begin until 1930. They were just like, this girl's really cool. <laughs> let we, her on. We got it. Let her on. Give her a crown. Don Bracken of Michigan. Let Mich the elephant ride on her shoulders. <laughs> Don Bracken of Michigan was the first Japanese queen who was chosen in 1981. And Christina Smith was the first African-American Rose Parade queen who appeared in the 1985 parade. 
1916, the first woman to lead a parade in the float was Edith Wright of Eagle Rock Float. And a parade-loving, junk food-eating Mary Pickford was the first woman to be chosen really? as the Grand Marshal of Parade. She loved a parade. And she was the first celebrity Grand Marshal as well. Really? Yeah. Some of my other favorite Grand Marshals, Shirley Temple in 1939 mm-hmm. was the youngest Grand Marshal ever. Shirley Temple in 1999, when she was reappeared again. As along the with oldest <laughs> Grand Marshal? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. 60 years later, when she reappeared with four other Grand Marshals of the time, Buzz Aldrin. What? Just, uh, mm-hmm. I I, I, that stinky old man who smells like moon still? Old stinky himself. <laughs> Ray Bartlett, who accepted the position in honor of Jackie Robinson, who was his friend, and documentarian and film producer David L. Walper, who produced Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, Good for him. Yeah. My favorite documentary. <laughs> About factory abuse of uh, children and <laughs> minority groups. And now extinct minority groups. <laughs> the orange people, which that's a derogatory term. In 1970, the Grand Marshals were the Apollo 12 astronauts. I thought you would like that. Wow. In 1960, Vice President and admitted crook Tricky Dick Nixon was the Grand no. Marshal. Mm-hmm. No. Funny enough, in 1939, Tricky Dick and future First Lady Pat Nixon went on their first date at a Rose Bowl game, the what? Duke versus USC. Yeah. In 2000, the Grand Marshals were Radio Man Art Linkletter, Mr. Rogers, yay, and Christopher Dorner's manifesto darling, Bill Cosby. <laughs> Damn. Uh, yeah, boy, yeah. Yeah, boy. In 2004, composer John Don't Williams. The roses. What? Oh. 2004, he was the Grand Marshal. He had the parade. And to show how serious an honor that is, the next year, 2005, the Grand Marshal was M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-C. Where was Minnie? Was she back at home? Did I miss my chance? All alone? I'm sorry. Minnie. Call me. (laughs) (laughs) I heard you've been talking about my wife. (laughs) How'd you even get her number? I've seen the text. It makes me sick. She's a happy woman. I go on wooden float. She starts floating around with some harpy. His dad, Walt Disney, was a Grand Marshal in 1966. 1996, the Grand Marshal was Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog? Yeah. I think you're a We're, little too listen, comfortable with... I'm not a Disney guy, but me and the Muppets are pretty close. <laughs> He's an Illuminati member, too, so... <laughs> Kermit is like a level 40 Illuminati member. <laughs> they all wear those things around their neck like yeah. Kermit wears, and nothing else. <laughs> Trust me. I caught a glimpse of one of those he meetings. To, he used to be a real floggy, slowly transcending <laughs> into a human. That's when you go through the members of the Illuminati. That's what you get. For an animal to become a human, you either join the Illuminati or send them into space. (laughs) (laughs) That's how evolution happens. Just like 2001. The official movie Illuminati. <laughs> My second favorite documentary. 1998, two years after Kermit the Frog, the parade was led by Grand Marshal Carol Burnett. Noted sad sack and our personal creator, Charles Schultz, was the Grand Marshal in 1974. <sighs> Sandwiched in between John Wayne in 1973 and Hank Aaron in 1975. Two guys that could have beaten him up at the drop of a hat. At drop of, not even, like, just <laughs> that Before shoulders. the hat hit the ground. <laughs> in 2008, we got Enrol Lugosi at... Lugosi. Lug- How do you say his last <laughs> Wait name? Wait a minute. Who are we talking about? Bella Lugosi? Or Alvaro Lagasse. How do you say this? Is it Lagasse? I think it's Lagasse. Isn't it Lagasse? I don't think so. I've heard it a million times, and now that I have to say it, I can't Although, say it. Although, now I want to say, uh, bam, blah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to say that. Had a little bit of parsley to this. <laughs> blah, bam. No garlic, please. In 2011, we got Paula Dean. Uh, in 2009, too bad. In 2009, our Grand Marshal was Cloris Leachman. <laughs> Really? Yeah. And in 2013, we got Jane Goodall, which is pretty cool. In 2014, the Grand Marshal was the voice of the summer himself, Vin Scully. Mm-hmm. And last year, the Grand Marshal was documentarian Ken Burns. Between 1913 and 1915, they tried having a Rose King and Queen, but eventually decided against it. So there are three Rose Kings out there, and I don't know if they want to <laughs> brag about that. A woman named Isabella Coleman, who decorated her first float in 1909, is credited with creating
creating the modern float look with when she begins gluing roses to the floats for the first mm. time in 1929, 20 years later after she first did it. Six years later, the ante is upped with Santa Barbara's peacock float, which has been described as such. A floral depiction of seven peacocks that turned from side to side, <laughs> which was operated by seven men inside <laughs> the 65-foot-long float. They manipulated the moving birds and were in continual communication via built-in telephones. Consider the game changed. The New Year's flood of 1934 that washed away some of Montrose and La Crescenta and killed a lot of people oh, no. brought 12 inches of rain onto the Pasadena Rose Parade they how rained did, on that parade how did the Rose Parade handle this natural disaster luckily they had 48 hours notice so they themed the parade Tales of the Seven Seas uh, <laughs> the water helped the roses and they kept growing and growing <laughs> like chia pets these peacocks are real now you got water on the gremlin float <laughs> and just like some good sea stories many people were washed away huh? these are the years that it rained on their yeah, parade as many as were blown away were also washed, washed. away <laughs> and their bodies were never recovered anywho these are the years that it rained on their parade 1906 the parade is caught on film courtesy of Vitascope Company. They were going to say caught on fire. Caught on fire. The first national radio broadcast of the parade was in 1927 and it went international five years later in 1933. Does that sound interesting to you? A radio broadcast of a parade? That's basically the intro, so a little bit. <laughs> so no. No so, one's interested. No, no, no. If a giant bowling ball isn't hitting a grandstand, I can't imagine it's very interesting. Boy, if you could see this. <laughs> Wait till television comes out. You weren't supposed to know about that. Sorry, Illuminati. They were already on the internet by that time. <laughs> Illuminati secrets. They're already in the dark web by that <laughs> the Illuminati's playground <laughs> I swear to god that was a laugh <laughs> the first telecast goes out on W6XAO Los Angeles in 1939 1946 was the first time the Terminal Roses were broadcast on the local telecast W6XYZ which later became KTLA which still shows the parade to this day KTLA they, they got good something stuff. Yeah, we should uh, one day do an episode on them let's the settle down Come on. Go ahead. Come on. <laughs> in 1951, the film Peggy. I don't want to talk about Sam Rubin for 30 minutes. <laughs> Listen, nobody does. That's nobody it. but Sam Rubin. <laughs> I hope to God he's like the one celebrity that listens to our podcast. Yeah. And now he's gone. Mark Kriske will pick us up. <laughs> I like Christine Devine. Let's go to Fox. In 1951, the film Peggy with Rock Hudson and Diana Lynn uses a tournament of roses as a theme. That man's man? Yeah, that man's man. You know, that... there's one parade he would never be at that we <laughs> talked about. That darn Santa Claus parade. That's also the same year that it was televised in color as well as the first time it was first broadcast on network telecast KTTV which was transmitted through microwave Everybody gather around the microwave. <laughs> We're going to watch the New Year's Parade. <laughs> Look real close. Keep that door open. Just keep the waves flowing out. Eventually, you'll see something. It was broadcast at San Francisco's KPIX between KPIX to KTTV. In 1968, it was the first time the Rose Parade and the Rose Bowl game are caught on international satellite feed. The Rose Parade starts at the Norton Simon Museum, which is another topic that we covered, and mm-hmm. rides down Colorado Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Get there crazy early to get a spot in the grandstand. Yeah, like two days early. Some people... Yeah. camp out the night before yeah at least at least yeah it is super cold at that time of year <laughs> not uh, 
anymore, though. You don't have to worry about that. You'll, you'll never... You're always hot when you don't have any water to drink. You're yeah. going to hope some of those roses fall off and you can suck whatever's out of them. Welcome to Pasadena. A float's going to come down the road and everyone's going to attack it. <laughs> suck the moisture! <laughs> it didn't even make it to Los Robles. In 1988, President Ronald Reagan, the actor, made the rose the national flower of America, giving the rose parade even more stature as an American institution. I like the rose parade a lot. Yeah, yeah, I like it too. I like it. It's a, it's a quality parade. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to, sadly, new hosts. New oh, hosts? yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they have that. Yeah. It's the epitome of a parade. That and the Macy's Day Parade yeah, are good yeah, yeah, parades. Yeah. It's very much in the morning with a cup of coffee and something to eat. Yes, it's so out. nice waking yeah, up. Family, like, yeah. They won't let you watch it, and you're just trying to sit there and pay attention. And everyone's like, what time? I don't care. Let me watch Peanuts float going down the road. <laughs> Since we talked about the granddaddy of all parades in Los Angeles, let's talk about something that's a little bit of a rejection of that. The Pasadena Doodah Parade. You're making this up with you, your mouth and your brain. As Greg so hostilely put it, you may or may not have heard of this one before, but the Camptown ladies sure have. Oh. Doodah, doodah. This one was born out of a type of response we're all too familiar with here on the podcast to the other parades we've been talking about. Rejection. The year's 1978. Punk was in full bloom. <laughs> <laughs> the youngest 1978 had ever been, in particular, January 1st, 1978. Oh yeah, baby. The location is Chromo's Bar and Grill that had opened up on April Fool's Day the year before at 120 West Colorado Boulevard. Now, this part of Pasadena at the time was not a great part of town, but had become a sort of artist's colony filled with famous and starving artists and tons of bands and Chromos was a sort of hippie bar hub for some of these guys. A note written on the wall of the men's room said, Chromos has a way with gods unwanted. Oh, that's mm-hmm. fun. And also call this number for a good time. <laughs> it's God's number. Yeah. <laughs> so it's January 1st and it's a Sunday. The day was supposed to be the traditional day of the Rose Parade, but like you said, they have the ancient rule. But never dun, on dun, a dun, Sunday. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that's the sound of the parade coming down and wrote, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh no, the Rose Parade's starting <laughs> and it's got attitude. Not on Sunday because it would have frightened the horses and the people going to church in town. But times had changed and the patrons at Chromos saw that there were no horses around anymore and they were joking around. What a tragedy it was. There, there's no rose parade. Oh, what are we going to do? But people were already camping out for the parade that was going to take place the next day. So the stage was all set and being the artistic types that they were, they couldn't resist making the most of that. So in front of about 125 people on the street, the patrons of Chromos and their friends put on an impromptu little parade of their own. They marched from Pasadena Avenue and Green Street to Colorado, then to Raymond, and then to Memorial Park. It was just a bunch of weirdo artists walking down the street, like a guy playing a violin in a spider costume, one guy in a cowboy hat playing Jimi Hendrix songs on an accordion, and then at the end of the parade, they gave an award to a water tank. (laughs) They all had a good time and had no expectations of ever doing this again, but then people got to talking about maybe having another one the next year, but this time there was a little bit more intent to it. It was decided that it would be a mockery and opposite to everything that the road parade was was a twisted sister they called it no twisted sisters (laughs) running wild in pasadena there would be no theme to it no marching order first come first serve just utter chaos contained by sidewalk none of the weirdos and freaks in this part of town would ever be let into something like the rose parade so they made this one open to anybody who wants in you can come and be a part of it in the early days it was referred to as the other parade but eventually in reference to this really strange and very cool obscure british band 
from the 60s, the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. We'll put up some songs by yes. them, which are a lot of fun. Yeah, they are. They decided to call it the Occasional Pasadena Doodah Parade. Occasional because the date that it's held is not usually the same, nor has the location been many times, although it was always in Old Town Pasadena somewhere. And it can't be called annual because there have been times where there were two in one year and none in another. For example, the second one ever was the same year, 1978, but on December 30th. The best way to give an idea of what this parade is all about is just to list some of the participants from over the years. Okay. To start, the parade is traditionally kicked off by the band Snotty Scotty and the Hankies. Okay. How rude. <laughs> then come groups and participants like the Evangenitals, <laughs> Flying Babies Cornhole, mm-hmm. Toaster Car, Easy Acres Chicken Sitters, the barbecue and hibachi grill team who cook hot dogs as they march. Oh, I love that. Code Blue Defib's medical satire. The nice. Army of Toy Soldiers. Flying Baby Naptime Aerials. Wow. The Eunuch Band. Bearded Ladies. The Lounge Lizards, who are a bunch of guys dressed as lizards in evening wear who push a piano yeah. down the street and play Frank Sinatra songs. Guys dressed as lizards. Yeah. Not our overlords. They're not. Finally, they just want to be a part of the fun <laughs> and they're revealing themselves. Uh, and they're not worshiping the greatest of all Illuminati members, Frank Sinatra. If you look closely he isn't on the dollar bill don't worry he did it his way (laughs) you beat me to it (laughs) which is now all of our ways (laughs) which is the only way there were also the partying parrot heads man as giraffe the recumbent revolution highland park gentlemen's club thursday evening circuit benders What's our nickname? The Human Pool Balls. Cool. Didgeridoo Da King Kong and the Hallelujah Chorus, which was a group of basset hounds in choir robes. Ah, gimme! Kinetic Pastry Science Mobile Muffins. This? Did you write this? You're making this up. Like, are you? I just plugged in a word generator. <laughs> You'll like this one. Howdy, Krishna. <laughs> That has to be a howdy-doody thing, right? (laughs) The L.A. Mud People, who actually seem really cool, who one year had a young Leonardo DiCaprio as a member. Really? The Klingon Assault Group, the synchronized marching briefcase drill team, who were a bunch of guys in suits doing elaborate moves with briefcases, and they were a huge favorite at the parade over the years, so much so that Jackson Brown was once a member, and he used some of them in a music video, but for some reason in 1992, people were sick of them, and they started spitting on them and throwing tortillas at them. Let me think of who might have been doing that. <laughs> Supporters of this show, the LA Derby Dolls, Crime Bo the Clown, Grand Marshal of 2008 and great admirer of Greg's Charles Phoenix, <gasps> the Church of Ornamental Lawn Decorations, and the parades are closed out by Secret Santa. The ninth one in 1985 brought about the ban of animals in the parade after a donkey ran into the crowd. Eon, eon, do da, do da. The ban the animals? Eric Burden can come, but the rest of the animals can't. The 13th edition in 1989, they decided instead of a parade to just do a pub crawl instead. Okay. The 15th one in 1990 was broadcasted with Richard Simmons, but in 1993, with the 18th go-around coming up, the parade was starting to get some mainstream popularity, so they decided to charge admission to watch it. $7 in advance, $10 at the door. This parade route would do laps around Pasadena City Hall, and it was a huge disaster. The commercialization of it had destroyed the freak show and traffic vibe of it, so from then on, they decided to try not to control this parade and just let it do what it does and the growing popularity of it made it bigger than the group that created it was able to handle this meant that Peter Appenel who one of the original founders of the parade and self-appointed Doodah Czar put the parade up for sale he said it was only worth a dollar but a Pasadena based non-profits art group called the Lightbringer Project bought it for a dollar fifty so the solid purchase (laughs) so the he had to give him change back so the 19th parade in 1994 was co-produced with Lightbringer and the original guys back at the original route it was also televised on channel 13 but the 20th one 
1995 was now fully Lightbringer, also televised, but the televising proved to be a disaster too because the TV station was trying to contain the madness in a format suitable for TV. <laughs> then that killed the magic, so they stopped doing it. They, they, don't, yeah. they don't broadcast this. One of the other major orders of business Lightbringer added was the creation of the Queen competition. There had always been queens of the Dude Parade on and off, like Martha Fruit in 1981, who had her queenship challenged by a guy named Pipe John Herman, who declared himself king in front of her. Fruit then punched him in the face. <laughs> But it was never a standardized thing until Lightbringer came along, which look to the dollar bill and you will see the Lightbringer. <laughs> All hail Sinatra. Uh, we did it his way. <laughs> we did it his way. <laughs> and now please swallow the Jack Daniels. They created an application process to become queen, which takes place at the American Legion in Pasadena every November. You can go watch for $5 and it's basically a talent show where 15 to 20 applicants get three minutes to sing, dance, tell jokes, or whatever they do in front of the judges to prove that they're worthy anyone's welcome to try. You can be a woman. You can be a man. You can be a man dressed as a woman. A woman dressed as a man. Transgendered. You could be a child. You can be an animal. Some animals are still welcome yeah. if they're queen. In 1997, a guy submitted his wife's ashes to be considered under the name Queen Lily of the Hereafter. They went with conjoined twins that year instead. Oh, yeah, not, not even a dead lady wins? <laughs> Some of the constant hopefuls to be queen are Pinball Lizard, another high-ranking member of a certain group, world champion whistling diva, the naked opera singer, the Swami from El Monte, American with Disabilities Act Wonder Woman, oh, yeah. Cookie the Mind Reading Dog, <laughs> here's my favorite one, Count Smokula, who's a Yiddish Dracula who plays the accordion. Oof. Oof. Parade, Fanning myself right now. This parade is everything that yeah. we strive well, to how, be. How are we not honorary kings and uh, king and king? <laughs> there are no kings. There are only queens. Well, then and fine. If there's two bigger queens in the world, I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of any. <laughs> Last year's crown, which is always made by the previous year's queen, went to Veronica Meow Meows. Another big change by the Lightbringer came in 2010 when they decided to move the parade out of Old Town Pasadena for the first time because they felt the area was becoming too gentrified, so they went to East Pasadena, which still had more of that original vibe from the 70s. Another thing that was added was the Thorny Rose Award given to Pasadena's most controversial citizen, who is the most vocal voicer of a cause or opinion. It's not a regular thing, but the first one was given in 2000 to a Charles Chernus, and the last one was given in 2009 to Ann Lau for protesting the Chinese flow in the Rose Parade by having a human organ harvesting by China recreation in front of Rose Parade headquarters. Whoa! That's yeah. a thing? Why yeah. didn't I read about that? You gotta know the right websites. The thorny winner is invited to receive their award at the parade and be driven along the route. The parade's gotten more family friendly over the years, but it's also Whoa. gotten more renowned. A Reader's Digest named it America's Best Parade. It's in the book 50 Places You Must Visit Before You Die. In 2005, the Discovery Channel did a thing on it. The Clintons, future losers to Trump, the Clintons, are big fans of it. There have been imitation doodahs popping up around the country in Fawn Skin, California, Columbus, Ohio, and Ocean City, New Jersey. There's even a parody of this parody parade started in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which oh, is a cool. perfect place yeah. to have a thing called a doodah parody. But weird and sometimes annoying as this parade is, it gives the area's stranger people a venue to express themselves in a fun way and let their alter egos run loose for a day. It's a day of reversals when you can let go and not have to be yourself. Dr. Denise Lawrence 
Lawrence, who's director of the Center for Visual Anthropology at USC, classified the Duda Parade as a rite of reversal, which has been a part of many societies throughout history, which gives the community a day to come together and celebrate diversity and differentness. If you want to celebrate that, anyone's welcome to apply to take part in this parade, and usually around a thousand people do. If you're not strange enough for that, you can still watch it. It's free to watch, and over 50,000 people do every year. The 39th one is taking place this November 20th at 11 a.m. The parade route now goes along Colorado between Altadena Drive and San Gabriel Boulevard. The official after party is at the American Legion at 179 North Venado Street, and there are several unofficial after parties at the Colorado Bar and Pooh Bar Records. Ah. I remember I went to this a long time ago, mm-hmm. like in the 90s, and I remember being really freaked out by it. <laughs> My dad really wanted to go, and I was not ready for you that were strangeness. His, his square son. <laughs> Can like, we go to the Nixon parade, oh, Dad? God. I think Gene Krupp is going to be somewhere. Can we just? <laughs> is this some sort of Gene Krupp con? <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I would. I want to be a part of it. Yeah, let's do that. I want to join the Basset Hound. Yeah, march. I, yeah. I want to walk alongside them. I don't want to be dressed like. I'll gladly clean up their poop. Oh yeah, no bag. It's an honor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's been parades. Those are some of the biggest parades. Mm-hmm. Go have one. Throw yourself one. It's yeah, a lot of you fun. Deser- you deserve it. For sitting yeah. through these episodes, you deserve it. Yeah. This one's for you, kids. <clears throat> Here's looking at you. Kids. <laughs> Stay together for the kids. Parades. Oh. I always ruin everything. I'm not cool like you. I'm not cool like Gene Krupa. <laughs> They'll never throw one for us, but you know what? At most, we'll get a ticker tape parade. <laughs> I hope you guys have a good 4th of July. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Do they do parades on 4th of July? Not really, just no. I think vertical the sky, parades. Yeah, exactly. yeah, the sky, sky is, is a parade. parade. <laughs> yeah. Every dog running into a bathroom is a parade. <laughs> <laughs> the thousand scared dog march. The thousand soon-to-be-lost dog march. <laughs> yeah, have a nice 4th uh, of July. It's going to be fun. Yeah, don't do anything crazy like like eat corn on the cob, slice it off first. You know, we have some sort of a parade coming in on iTunes, a parade of reviews. Thank you everyone for giving us reviews. We really appreciate it. We do appreciate it. If you want to leave yourself a review, go to iTunes. If you have an iPhone, it's so easy. Open the podcast app, search Boom. bar, search for LA Meekly, Boom. click on LA Meekly, Boom. leave a review. It's all it takes. <laughs> That's the noise it makes when we get the reviews. Yeah. We get it. Uh, Ooh, I'm going to Magic Mountain. That's the only messages we ever get. Yeah, I'm, going only, yeah, I'm going to Magic Mountain. I'm going to Magic Mountain. Stop. We, I am going to ride Colossus. Li- stop. We like stop. We like to party. Stop. Uh, so yeah, leave a review on iTunes. Ride Colossus. Like us on Facebook. We post a lot of stuff there. Yes. Follow us on Twitter at LA Meekly. Instagram, LA underscore Meekly. Don't be afraid to be our friend. I know it's frightening, but you know, it's not as bad as it seems. No, yeah, we're Illuminati. We're cool. Yeah, if you want to join the Illuminati, this is step one. <laughs> Go to our main hub. LA Meekly uh, at Tumblr. No, LA Meekly dot Tumblr. Yeah. Com. Try Ellie Meekly at Tumblr.com. See if that takes you to the yeah. dark web. <laughs> if you want to send us emails, la.meekly yeah. at gmail.com. Correct. Send uh, us encouragement, suggestions, we, uh, encouragement. We are planning a field trip episodes coming up soon, which is going to be a new thing for us. So if you uh, would like to reach out and show us something really neat, we are planning to go out yeah, in the field. Yeah, if you are an a, expert in something revolving around this city, yeah, let yeah, us Yeah, we'd know. like to know about it. All right, so we've been uh, Ellie Meekly. Thank you for listening. See you next month. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Sorry. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this and we hope to see you again next month. Here's a little bit of a teaser. Oh, my God. Hitler's staging an Olympics. What are we going to do? 
find out all about that and more. Well, not really, but yeah. you'll find out something about mm, sports next time. <laughs> that has been the July 2016 edition of LA Meekly, not the official podcast of the Illuminati since 2013. Start spreading the news. We are not strangers in the night. <laughs> Thank you.